Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. All right, y'all. This week, it's all about seniors. Senior dogs are so special to me. I technically have two of them, although I'm not willing to admit that Felix is a senior. Iggy clearly is at age 15. I've got guests Ann Waterbury and Dr. Heather Meisner to talk about these really special older dogs. Ann is a behavior consultant like myself with a special interest and special training in scent detection. She really loves working with senior dogs and even has senior nose work sessions called Silver Sniffers, which is the cutest thing I've ever heard. She and Heather together teamed up to create Wagsnificent, (laughs) which is an online education platform for dogs and their devoted humans to provide evidence-based information in a very engaged way. So Heather, it makes perfect sense, would team up with Anne because she's a veterinarian who's certified additionally in acupuncture and physical rehabilitation. And she left the kind of corporate vet world where she has in-depth post-veterinary school surgical training and where she worked as an emergency vet because she got burnt out on all that stuff because it doesn't emphasize relationship-based medicine. And so with an increasing interest in pain management, mobility, and optimizing health span, she made the switch in 2019 to practicing what she's calling quality of life-based medicine exclusively. And I love that. So it's a perfect fit. These two people really passionate about helping all dogs, but having a deep shared love for senior dogs would come together. And so together, they've got these online resources, they've got their super senior course, and we are gonna talk about what makes life with seniors so special and how we can improve that quality of life that we all care so much about. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast. So I have two guests, which means that you have to introduce yourself separately so that everyone can kind of identify who is who. So we're going to start like we always do with names and pronouns. Heather, we'll start with you. Good morning. I'm Heather Meisner, and my pronouns are she, her. Welcome, and Anne, we'll go with you next. Um, hello, I'm Anne, and my pronouns are also she, her. All right. So welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today because we're going to talk about supporting senior dogs which is something that a lot of the listeners know is very near and dear to me. I'll try not to cry basically this whole episode because my Iggy girl just turned 15 a few weeks ago. She's the oldest dog I've been lucky to have. I've had a few 14-year-olds, but 15 is a new, is a new era for me. <laughs> Anne and Heather, I'm going to ask you to share what, what brought about kind of your passions for senior dogs. Anne, we'll start with you. Um, my passion for senior dogs, I think, really ignited when years and years and years ago, I was in someone's home as a behavior professional back when I offered in-home services. And I was in someone's home. They called me about their younger dog. And I'm walking through the house, and I look over, and there's this beautiful, like, yellow lab just taking a nice nap. And I said, oh, you know, here's your 
here's your dog. And they're like, no, 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 that's, that's like our old dog. You're here for, and we walked into the other room for the beagle mix. And I was like, what? Like, it just seemed like that's, don't worry about that. It's an old dog. Who cares? It was just so, oh, it really struck me. I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on? Like, why is that not, not a thing? Now they were focused on another problem, but it always kind of stuck with me. And then not too, too long ago, an organization, this is only about four years ago, reached out to me for some webinars. And they're like, what's some content you're you know passionate about? What would you like to talk about? And I said, oh my God, senior dogs, like keeping them busy and happy and healthy and moving and, and keeping them with us as close to forever as, as possible. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not, that doesn't sell. You have to think of something else. I was like, what? It was just such, it was crushing. Like someone took all my Christmas presents away or something as a little kid. It was a <laughs> devastating blow. So that's probably where mine started. And I was like, no, this is, this is a thing. And I just need to kind of you know, spread the world and I word and I built some programs and stuff here at, at my studio. But that's probably my my start. And living of course with with senior dogs. My last guy was about sixteen, maybe seventeen to toss up. I mean I adopted a seven year old dog and we were together for nine years. So it was yeah. wonderful. I felt every week was like I'd won the lottery over and over again because he just stayed so happy and healthy and moving so well for so long. I, I totally understand that one. All right, Heather, where'd it come from for you? <laughs> so uh, I'm with you, Sarah. I'm going to try not to cry through this whole thing because uh, my, <laughs> my, my passion came from my Ralphie, um, who I lost last year um, at the ripe old age of 16. And I think that for me, a lot of it was... As he was approaching his 15th birthday around September of 2021, um, he just wasn't eating with his same enthusiasm. So we went into our vet because I don't vet my own dogs. I let somebody else do that. I'm too emotionally involved. We went into our vet and um, unfortunately he was diagnosed with liver failure, kidney failure, and intestinal cancer. And of course, all of all of my friends and I from vet school had a little powwow and it was, okay, well, let's do a CT scan and we can go to surgery and let's biopsy the liver. And if it's cancer, then we can do chemo. And it was just, and, 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 and all of this stuff that was just not going to be good for his quality of life. And his poor little 15 year old body couldn't handle that. And I said, this is ridiculous. I'm not putting him through any of this. We're going to do everything that's focused on just quality of life enhancement. And I'm going to enjoy every second that I have left with him. If it's weeks or maybe months, cool. We're just going to, we're just going to enjoy our time to the best of our ability. So I really only added in therapies that were going to improve his quality of life. We treated nausea and we treated pain. Of course, um, we kept him moving. That was the really big thing. And I said, you know, I don't have, I don't know how much time you have left. So let's go do all of the things that you love most. And he went on for a year with this really wow. amazing high quality of life. And I truly believe, um, and all of the vets on his team also truly believe that by focusing on quality of life, we were helping him treat his diseases and keep him actually healthier. And so that's become a really big passion for me. I would say in, in my veterinary practice, about 85% of my patients are seniors and I couldn't be happier. I love it. I love working with seniors. They're the best life stage as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I love that you brought up 
basically treating disease with improved quality of life because, or by focusing on quality of life. My dog Iggy was diagnosed with bladder cancer almost two years ago. And that's all that we've done is just, she eats fresh food. She walks in the woods. She has cognitive enrichment. She doesn't think that I feed her enough, but that's never changed um, (laughs) in, in, in her entire life. But it really is all, it's pain management it's any, she really doesn't have many symptoms, but if she does managing those and it just didn't make sense for me and never has to make her feel sick, to make her live longer. And so we don't, and she's just basically, she's basically a walking miracle. And, (laughs) you know, not to say, I want to be clear because I think a lot of people really try to do this and their dogs still kind of succumb to disease and she will eventually. I mean, there's an organic process that's at play, right? Absolutely. But zeroing in on that quality of life is what I really want to talk to you both about because I think it's really normal, even if there is not evidence of disease, to expect these senior dogs to kind of slow down, to be less functional, or just generally have actually a reduced quality of life. I mean, we're talking in Iggy's case, we're talking about a dog that used to travel the country with me competing in agility. And of course, I mean, that all stopped five years ago. <laughs> so for the last five years, you know, her life has been different, but I hope to have her quality of life still be high. And I think you're both really interested in flipping that narrative and kind of providing these pathways to maintain that high quality of life for the senior dogs. So we will start with Heather this time. Let's talk about some of those specific pathways. So I, um, a little bit more about my background. I'm primarily a pain and mobility practitioner. So that's, that's really the, a lot of what we really focus on. Um, of course, when we're dealing with an online webinar situation, we're not talking about specific medications. And um, I, I am very proactive with medications with my patients when I'm in my medical practice um, because they, they really can en- enhance quality of life. But there are also a lot of other things we can do to treat pain that are not related to medications. And that's so deeply intertwined with mobility that we can't really have a discussion of one without the other. Uh, movement is life. And with movement, we can treat pain. Uh, With movement, we improve blood supply to failing organs. With movement, we improve overall quality of living because they can then use all of their senses to the best of their ability. Um, So movement is is really key. And again, we can't divorce the conversations between movement and pain relief because I mean, all of us know that if we stay in bed for a week with the flu, the second we stand up and get out of bed, everything hurts. It's not because we injured ourselves while we were in bed. It's because we weren't moving. We need to move to maintain to maintain that our quality of life. And it's equally true of our pets. So that's a really that's a really big pathway that I tap into. Um, of course, teaching people how to recognize pain is a really big one, too. They're mm-hmm. so good. At, they love us so much. They don't want us to know that that they're struggling. They want to go have fun and do all the things with us. And so they're going to try to hide their pain to the best of their ability for us. Um, and then really another really big one, um, where which is really the reason why I wanted to partner with Anne, is sensory stimulation is huge for senior dogs. We want to engage all of the senses um, to keep them 
healthy and happy. Um, so Anne, I'll let you kind of take over with that one. Yeah, let's hear about that, Anne. Yeah, it's so I love working with veterinarians. So like when I met Heather and we teamed up, I was like, oh, so exciting because yeah, the, I know the pain and all that so influences our um, quality of life for our older dogs. So I love that working with a veterinarian. So we know that everything is being addressed on the medical side of things. And then what I can do to complement some of that um, is I love like sniffing games, letting dogs um, especially our seniors use their nose. I have a whole program called Silver Sniffers. Um, Heather and I are online classes called Super Seniors, inspired by Ralphie, of course. Um, but a whole idea of keeping those dogs moving in a sniffing sense, which is kind of a different kind of movement, not necessarily saying you should take a 20-mile hike. As my guy got older, I would drive down i live right by forests and hiking trails but i would drive down to the beginning of the trail and walk him a short ways and then so he still felt like he was hiking on the trail but then if he got tired my car was right there mm -hmm. and he didn't have to do the mile hike home so changing things up a little bit and i love the sniffing games and letting dogs do the senior dogs do nose work because it's they're moving and they're sniffing and we know that sniffing is so good for them we know it's so natural for them we know that sniffing lowers their heart rate um thanks to that you know interesting research that came out where they measured heart rate and sniffing and leash length and all that so mm -hmm. um i love to play games where we're inside the dog is off leash can move very naturally um how they naturally would move not any pressure to go faster or slower or whatever and uh, i think it's really awesome for dogs and that way they're using their brain that idea of of contra freeloading which i could talk about all day long but that these really enriched animals would rather work for some food than than just you know have a bowl of breakfast mm. we're going to circle back to contra freeloading yes. i would love to have you geek on that just a little bit but <laughs> before we do, one of the concepts that um, I am a broken record about is the idea of getting dogs outside off-leash in nature. And for me, watching Iggy, you know, we just went for a walk in the woods yesterday. And no, she's not race. Like, I've got my three younger dogs that are, like, doing, I don't know, four times the distance that Iggy and I are doing. <laughs> but she is just she's sniffing a ton she's having she's having a sensory experience and heather you said movement is life and i feel like that's so true and i think folks see pain and their first thought is restrict yep. to reduce the pain i think that that's it's a common recommendation that they receive it's mm -hmm. a it's it's like the first thought that they have and it has so been counter, that recommendation is counter to what I have seen to be real for yes. my, my body, for my dog's body. Uh, we work closely with Dr. Leslie Ide all the time. She is kind of anti crate rest. Like she, <laughs> if a dog comes to her clinic that has been prescribed crate rest, it's a conversation of, okay. Yep. What's, what's this going to do for us, but also how are we going to counteract the really negative effects, actually, that, you know, she's always saying rest is not rehab. Yes. And so talk about, Heather, I'm going to have you talk about their physical bodies and what keeping them moving 
I mean, you, you hinted on so many things, like you touched on that increased organ function. I mean, all of that stuff. What, why is it, you know, if you could kind of sum it up, why should folks not restrict when they see, you know, if the dog, obviously if the dog's limping, I love that you are not anti-meds and we need to lean on pharmaceutical support and that's where their veterinary team comes in. But <laughs> that I think people say, well, the dog went for a hike yesterday. Like Iggy went for almost two miles with us yesterday and she slept very hard last night. <laughs> and I can tell she's a little sore today and I have some meds that I can support her with, but it's still mm-hmm. worth it. I'm not going to not do that again. Like she's going right. to go again later this week. So talk about that a little bit more. Sure thing. Um, how many hours do we have? I'm kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> we, there is a big, I think, flip happening in veterinary medicine thanks to the gaining excitement behind the rehabilitation field, which is fairly new. The rehabilitation field is kind of like the veterinary equivalent mm. of physical therapy in humans. So we use a lot of physical therapy principles to treat disease. Um, so from a purely scientific background perspective, it, you know, I see a bicep tendonitis and I think about what exercises I can do to treat that bicep tendonitis. Um, mm. It's so much more than that, though, because we know that when we're physically moving our bodies, we are increasing our heart rate, which is improving blood supply to various organs by moving healthily, by moving the whole body, not just focusing on one specific exercise, but getting out and moving over obstacles, navigating over sticks that have fallen across the forest path and digging your toes, your paw pads into the dirt and engaging all of those little tiny muscles in the toes and chewing on something fun that's engaging all of your chewing muscles. It's helping to bring blood supply up to the brain. There are so many things that we're doing to open up the fascial planes with that as well. Um, And in in my medical practice, I consider myself more of a fascia practitioner than anything else. And the fascia is basically the wrapping paper that goes around every organ, every cell, every tissue, um, and just connects the whole body to each other, to all of the systems. I'm sorry, our fascia system makes up our lymphatic system. So it plays a big role in our immunity, in our our heart's ability to pump blood effectively, our kidneys' ability to get rid of waste, our liver's ability to filter all of the blood. If we don't have good movement, then a lot of the times we get stagnation of fluid down in the legs or in areas that aren't moving as well. And so we talk a lot about massage to help when a, when a body can't do that movement itself, we can help it with massage by creating that fluid movement. So we're helping a lot with the fascia, which is a big source of discomfort in patients as well. We are also helping engage them cognitively when we're moving, which is a really, really big deal in senior dogs. Um, A lot of dogs suffer from canine cognitive dysfunction, uh, which is basically dog dementia. And Mm -hmm. humans we would sit down and do something like a Sudoku or a word find puzzle to try to stimulate our brain. Um, And this is actually something I learned from Anne. The very best way to stimulate a dog's brain is to engage their sense of smell. 
So we are very visually driven. We figure out our puzzles through our eyeballs. Dogs are very scent driven. So they figure out their puzzles through their nose. So by giving them access to the whole wide world that they can go out and sniff, oh, was this a, was there a raccoon here at some point? Oh, I think I smell a squirrel. These are all games. These are puzzles that they're figuring out in their brain that's helping keep them engaged. This part is not so scientific, uh, but we all see the humans and the dogs out there that you, you look at them and you say, oh, you just have such a thirst for life. You have such a drive. You, you want to be here. Like you, you are a survivor. You want to survive. You want to be here. Getting out and moving around helps support that drive. And mm-hmm. in, in animals and in humans, we see that when we give up, we, we give up. That, that's, um, I heard a practitioner say once that the moment we stop moving is the moment we start dying. And that's kind of the, a similar <laughs> situation there where it's like, you know, we have, to, we have to want to keep going. And so providing all of these fun, exciting things for our animals to do by providing movement is helping give them that thirst, that drive to keep going. And I don't think that we should discount that as a field. That it's a very important part of quality of life is just that thirst, that excitement, that drive. And we want to keep it going as long as possible. That's amazing. Thank you. I yes, I think we could talk about this for hours. And kind of and piggybacking off of that kind of this cognitive piece and what the sniffing can bring to the cognitive enrichment for these senior dogs. Let's talk about basically what do you want to talk about? We're gonna go into nose work and how beautiful and amazing it is for honestly every dog. Um, <laughs> wherever you want to fit contra freeloading in, have at it. Yeah, I think the the nose work and the sniffing games kind of meets all the behavioral criteria. Like we can combine it with totally geeking out, which I can find a way to geek out about on any level on anything. I'm always game for that. Um, but it kind of it matches all that. They're they're working, you know, they're using their nose. They're working for food instead of just the free food. It also tends to reduce anxiety. Again, I guess that maybe that pain anxiety loose loop, which Heather can go into, like if we're moving and that feels good and the body's kind of lubricating and lubricating and moving and doing all that stuff, we're helping that pain anxiety loop. I'm sorry, there's a lot of noise in the background because there's a border collie. That's it's not okay. helpful. Okay. It's it's not my border collie this time. Which okay, is there's a lot of like, sounds like I'm in a bas- high school basketball game. There's a lot of dropping and dribbling going on. <laughs> it Usually that's my six month old, but she's asleep miraculously right now. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, he hasn't gotten the memo. He's eight. And I'm like, that's cool. You keep rocking it, buddy. Pretend that you mm-hmm, keep that's it right. moving. Um, so that's so important to give them something to to keep engaged in. I mean, maybe if they did do agility or disc dog or, you know, anything else physical, there's some limitations. Um, my guy loves to play ball, but I try to find ways to play like non-concussive ball because although he will run for the ball for four hours until he vomits and then just mm-hmm. run for the ball some more, I don't necessarily encourage that. So finding, I love nose work. He's a ball kind of guy. So sometimes I might just put his ball out in the woods 
and then tell him to go look for his ball. So he's doing that movement that Heather just talked about where there's like sticks and it's, it's my woods. There's not much manicured things going on there. He's running over sticks and logs and things, but he's using his nose. So instead of me whipping a ball with a chuck it and he's flying in the air, more likely to get hurt or overdo it. Maybe he's moving in a very intentional way because he's using his nose. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important. I like to start them inside, you know, inside my studio and start them very, because if dogs haven't had much exposure to doing different games like this, and sometimes they haven't, and that's okay. Um, I like to start, you know, nice and small. I want to make sure they're off leash and their humans can just sit and watch and observe. I'm like, you don't, you're not helping. Not helping is helping. Like, just sit back and observe, and I want you to see that moment. You're like, oh, oh, look at that. I, I saw, he's close to it. He knows he's close to it. Like, really start observing. And then even when we go outside to work with and play with the nose games, to get, you know, what that looks like. Like, what do you think he's doing right there? He's like, oh, I think that's like, there was like a critter or something there. Just starting to really read their dogs a little bit better than they already do. I have wonderful clients who are devoted dog parents, but I think they just go next level with this game because they're really watching their dogs thrive. They're watching their dogs like, oh my God, she's so smart. She just, she just did that. I'm like, yeah, she's that, that it's always been there, but really pulling that out. And I don't know, as time goes on, the sense of smell doesn't really seem to diminish where dogs and us might our eyesight might not be as good and our hearing might not be as good. Our dog's mm -hmm. eyesight and hearing might not be so good. It seems like that sense of smell, maybe it diminishes. I don't know how to measure it. Talk to some scientists on that, but it seems like that stays very strong. Like I don't see dogs diminish in their ability to smell and find food and kind of do what they were supposed to do to scavenge. I don't see that really ability kind of diminishing. I've never thought about that, but that is, I, I think you're completely right. Iggy's uh, almost totally deaf, losing her eyesight, can still find a snack anywhere. <laughs> anywhere and, and easily. And I do think people are tempted with the older dogs to kind of make them work less for their food. Like they're like, oh, you know, you're older, you've you know, maybe even their appetite is kind of in and out because of disease processes that might be happening. And so they might be less inclined to offer these kinds of food-based even enrichment. But that is where that concept of contra-free loading comes in, where actually you might actually improve the appetite by having them work a little bit more for the food. I've certainly seen that to be true. And you are improving the quality of life as well by just offering those forms of enrichment. So, Anne, will you explain what that is, what contra-free loading is, and then we can kind of jam off about okay. that? Um, the idea that we or any enriched being would rather work for food than just eat free food. So it was always, I remember a million years ago, first hearing it from Susan Friedman. And I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to go and I'm making videos. <laughs> and I texted her. I'm like, I'm going to make videos. And she's like, do it and send them to me because you're going to be amazed. I'm like, all right, challenge taken. <laughs> I'm making Susan videos. And I put down like a bowl of chicken. And for my dog at that point, adopted him when he was seven. So he was rounding about 11 at that point. I put a bowl of chicken mm -hmm. and then I put a food puzzle down. And he like walked to the bowl of chicken. Like, why, why would I eat a bowl of chicken? Stupid. 
and he walked over to the puzzle and it was like a Nina Ottenson old school wood one where he had to like open the, mm. lift the little thing out and then slide the drawer out and get the food. And he finished the puzzle and then just went and laid down. And the bowl of chicken remained until my cat walked into the room to, to take care of that. Um, but I was like, oh, my gosh, it is it is definitely a thing. With, when given the opportunity, you know, most animals would rather do that. Now it also kind of depends on their level of enrichment. You know, if you maybe go try this at a shelter, maybe they wouldn't necessarily pick working for food um, versus free food because maybe they're lacking some enrichment. But I don't know. I've done this at a lot of shelters, and I see – a lot of very similar things, even the dogs on the restricted diet. So they have the super, super kind of boring kibble, but they're on a really they're sensitive eat, they're diet. Eating yeah, they're eating cardboard. Because <laughs> they're yeah, they eating cardboard. <laughs> you know, they'll be like, yeah, they didn't eat breakfast yes. this morning. And I play with that kibble and I've put mm -hmm. it in some boxes and they're like, oh, I could eat that. And I'm like, just give me, give me that, give me that breakfast allotment and I tell know. me how much I can I've give them. I've seen it too. Yeah, so it's very cool. I have, and I've seen even something that my clients all kind of universally report. I do work with a lot of dogs that show up with what the, the owners would classify as quote unquote low food drive. And they universally report improved kind of relationship to food in, in their dogs. All, going all the way back to, I had a, a Malinois client that uh, the dog was, food was even just kind of poisoned in the in the dog owner dog owner food triangular relationship was very very damaged and you know he turned into a total foodie and a lot of it comes down to food-based enrichment but as well as just the way that the person delivers the food and the way that this triangular relationship is kind of set up if the person is a part of it I do think if I put a bowl of food and a food puzzle down, Iggy would first scarf all of the food and then go right into the puzzle because Iggy is very hungry. But <laughs> for some of the dogs who are less less driven by food or less interested in food, it's true. And I think you actually just brought, when you were talking about the ball, I think you just solved my problem in my puppy's um, tracking training. But excellent. I'm glad I could help I without even knowing. I think that ac I you didn't even know. I think accessing food is in the way that she's accessing it via tracking is um, too easy for her, and we are going to make some changes and also um, have her do some searches for not food as well. So all of this is so fascinating, and I de I definitely think that um, yeah, that was a complete rabbit hole, which is what I do. But the point being, senior dogs sometimes their relationship to food can get a little bit damaged because of disease processes or whatever. And it feels very counterintuitive to folks to make accessing the food a little bit harder when they're already struggling to get the dog to eat. But when we say make it harder, we don't mean make it an insurmountable challenge. I love to just make it different, like always thinking different instead of more difficult. So like, okay, then sprinkle the food in a towel and scrunch the towel just a little bit and just see how that goes. See if that goes better for you than a bowl. And it's amazing how often it does. It's amazing mm -hmm. how often the, you know, the hydrolyzed kibble or whatever the thing is that the dog has to eat so that its body can keep functioning in a bowl. They're like, Ugh, this again, 
But then you kind of crunch it up in a towel and you put it down and they're like, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. Now I'm scenting. Now I'm using other senses involved. And now, you know, is it, I think contra freeloading is part of what's going on there, but I think just spiking those other senses is what's going on there. Any, anything else anybody would more would like to say about that? From my uh, non-behaviorist perspective, um, mm-hmm. I describe everything to my clients as turning things into a game. We want to gamify everything with them. Um, most of this is because I'm I'm teaching new exercises. Um, the saying "you can't teach old dogs new tricks" is obviously everybody in this audience knows that to be very untrue. Um, but a lot of owners can can sometimes it can see a little bit of hesitation you want me to teach this 14 year old dog a new exercise what um so we we gamify things turn everything into a game and and that's a lot of what um i didn't have all of the contra freeloading terminology down when i was doing this with ralphie when his appetite would would dip but we did turn it into a game we did his exercises i would spread his kibble out over some Cavaletti poles and have him look around Mm -hmm. for it. And he would eat a lot better. And from my perspective, it was just, he wanted to play the game. And so let them play the game. (laughs) Just give them games. Let them play the games. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And anything else you want to add? Right. I always think about, um, to quote Kathy Sadeo is like eating as a behavior provided there's nothing medical reason that mm-hmm. the dog can't eat, but eating is a behavior. So sometimes it's not, you know, my people say, well, my dog won't eat. I'm like, before we make a lot of food changes without, you know, have a conversation with your veterinarian for sure. I said, but it's like where and how, and what's the contingency? Like for my dog personally, it was eat a little bit and you can have your toy for a little bit. Like I made eating more important because the contingency for eating was you got, your toy back. Now he's an extremely toy driven dog, but for all dogs like Ralphie, the contingency was moving around. So he was searching for it. I mean, dogs noses are totally amazing. We know that how they're these beautiful, huge things at the end of their face. There's those four pathways. So they like literally have a pathway on each side just to keep the body going and moving and air, oxygen exchange, all that. I'm not saying it in a medical way whatsoever, but one pathway on each side, just going to that huge olfactory bulb in their brain. So there was some recent research that was pretty interesting that said that the olfactory bulb in dogs, only in dogs that we know this so far, is related to or goes to or affects the areas that help dogs make decisions, um, affect behavior, and affect Mm -hmm. how they move, and affect how they see. So the idea is dogs are the one animal we know right now where the olfactory bulb absolutely is affecting everything. So back to kind of what you were saying earlier, Sarah, I mean, how important it is for a sniff walk or some intentional nose work or hiding breakfast all over the house, you know, or through the Cavalettis or whatever that can look like. Even just what is a sniff walk, just letting them get that information and observing and reading. I like to get people to play like, if your dog's sniffing, what does it look like? Are they going to pee on it? They're going to eat it. They're going to roll in it. Like what kind of sniffing? What's the outcome of this? Like, let's play, pee on it, roll in it, Mm -hmm. sniff it, eat it. What's, what's, what's happening next? Oh, I'm so good. I see the pre, the pre roll on it, sniff. And depending on (laughs) what I've got going on the rest of the day, if I have time to bathe disgusting dogs, (laughs) that might be a recall (laughs) moment. (laughs) For sure, for sure. 
So you have teamed up to offer services in Gig Harbor, Washington, but you also have some virtual stuff that we're going to talk about. So this is your opportunity to tell me all about this seniors uh, program you've got. All right, uh, I'll jump in. (laughs) So our super senior course, it is a four hour online course, but we break it up into two two hour sections. And it's just all about, of course, enhancing quality of life for seniors. Um, I do talk a lot about detecting pain and uh, mobility and keeping our pets moving. Um, We do talk a lot about, even though age is not a disease, it certainly does predispose to a lot of diseases. So there are some common conditions that a lot of senior dogs deal with. We do talk quite a bit about those conditions um, and the kind of non-pharmaceutical things that we can do, the supplements, the lifestyle changes, the environmental modifications that we can make for dogs that are struggling with those diseases. We go through specific exercises that are safe for senior dogs to do and kind of a, if your dog can't do this, maybe it's time to see a rehab vet and they can help with this type of thing. Um, Unfortunately, no uh, senior dog course is complete without a discussion of how do we measure quality of life and how do we prepare for and plan for end of life. Um, So we do delve into that quite a bit. But we we do so in a way that we get a lot of very positive feedback that it's helped a lot of people kind of through that decision making process. Um, I quite honestly um, developed a monitoring system when I had Ralphie. I did not want him to suffer. I I didn't want to keep him around for me. I wanted to keep him around for him. Um, so I developed a a really good way to keep track of: Am I doing this for him or am I doing this to him? And um, we share a lot of those tools with people so that they feel like they can make the best decision at the right time for their pet to avoid that, that struggle at the end. Um, so that's, that's a big part of it. It's not um, the only part of it. Obviously, we focus very heavily on what we can do to keep them going comfortably uh, so that we can just improve their quality of life and get as much time out of a happy dog as we can. Um, Anne also goes into quite a bit of the brain stimulating games that we like to play with seniors as well. Um, And we do demonstrations on, on the course too, live demonstrations so people can follow along and watch. And um, we try to do those in the first section so that you can come back to the next section with questions after you've tried all of these exercises and games. Excellent. And you guys all know that I'm going to have all of this linked for you, but it is Saturday, January 27th and February 3rd coming up here are going to be the two dates for the course. And Anne and Heather have very generously offered a 20% off code for my listeners. That code is COGDOG. And again, that will be in the notes. So starting with Anne, is there anything you'd like to add about life with a senior dog? Um, oh, there's so many things. Um, I think <laughs> in a lot of things that come up with me with my behavior practices, sometimes dogs are getting older and people then tend to get a younger dog or a puppy. Oh, my dog's getting older. I want to get a puppy. I'm like, okay, but there's a lot of senior dog support we could do, giving them some separate time, making sure our pain management is, even if you think you're doing it, you're going back to the vet to talk about I've got a puppy in the house now 
and what that means or senior dogs and babies or toddlers. It's a lot of, there's always considerations with dogs and kids, not making light of that, but with our senior dogs, some extra considerations that I like to really think about in our, in our planning um, and even some training. Well, you know, I can't train my senior dog. I'm like, sure, we can keep some really useful skills. Maybe I would just do a positive interrupt, some hand targeting, maybe even some pattern games to move mm-hmm. them around, you know, not necessarily anything too complicated with their bodies if there's anything going on, but certainly help them navigate those worlds because it can be really it can be really hard, certainly with a puppy coming on and for a senior dog. So I like to support them through all the the changes that maybe a growing family has and the senior dog's like, whoa, okay, that's a lot. They might not be as resilient as they were when they're younger. Well, they might not because it takes, it just takes so many spoons every day when you are in a little bit of pain, speaking as a chronic pain person myself. And so if you are in a little bit of pain or, or just your body is simply working harder to do its normal functioning every day, you're using up some of the resilience you've got. And so certainly, I mean, I have, I have a wide range. I have a six month old is my youngest. And then Iggy, my 15 year old that we've talked about. And so a lot of my efforts every day are just making sure that my six month old is entertained and not needing to seek any entertainment or, you know, harass my my older dogs both of them because I tech I don't think of Felix as a senior but he is eight and a half so I guess he should be included in this conversation although I'm not really accepting of that at this time um (laughs) I also keep her you know I just try to make sure that when she is bounding off the back of the couch she does not land on Iggy and these are just (laughs) these are just important things to be to be thinking about with your household management that yes Sometimes people might show up to a behavior consultant and say, I've got this problem with my dog, when in reality, your dog's just a senior who just needs a little more consideration than, than maybe you were thinking to give them because you didn't have to eight years ago. And now it's really time for you to give them that consideration. So I love that you brought up some of those life changes that people do bring in, especially I think in the dog sport world, it is really common to kind of keep adding more and keep adding more. And for me, it's just important to kind of make sure that like when everybody gets trained, Iggy gets a turn too, even though all Iggy might be doing is finding the colander that has a piece of food under it (laughs) in the collection of colanders and boxes that are on the ground versus, you know, somebody else might be doing really high level scent discrimination for obedience and somebody else might be doing their agility foundation it's important that she kind of gets that turn. And I think when you, yeah, when you complicate your life and you add more things to it, it's important to keep them in mind. Somebody was asking me what, what TV I was watching recently. And I was like, you know, I, I'm not because (laughs) I said, I I said, what is that? Because I have a six month old puppy and I have a 15 year old dog. And those are kind of the, the really high needs times of life. And I've got both of them. So I was like, I don't know what is, what is TV? I don't know what, what this is that you speak of. So Heather, what would you like to add to close us out about life with a senior? Oh, I just enjoy every second of it. It's, you know, we, we know that when we're the caretaker for an elderly human, that it's hard. There are support groups out there to support these people who are giving of themselves to this other individual constantly. 
Um, but we tend to kind of overlook the difficulty that goes along with caring with a, for a senior dog um, because, well, it's your dog and you love them and that's just what you do. And yes, of course, of course it's our dog and of course we love them and of course it's what we do. But that doesn't mean that it isn't hard. Um, and so give give yourself some compassion. <laughs> um, so know that sometimes it, it does get hard uh, to, to work with a, a senior patient, um, to work with a senior dog at home, but they're so worth it. They're the greatest life stage. They know who they are. They know what they want. Um, and we just need to enjoy every second with them. Yeah, I love to watch them problem solve. Yeah. They're so amazing because they have those life skills, like Heather just said. I remember my older guy would just kind of walk in and mm. stand for a moment, collect himself and be like, oh, hold on. It's right there. Like he had just figured stuff out. Like, wait a minute. I don't need to run a fool all around in circles. I'm just going to take this in. Wait. He would just kind of stand and smell and take stuff in. I was like, man, you've got some life skills. Like you're like, I'm expert at finding food. I've been jamming on this for 14 years now. I've got it. <laughs> and it was just so interesting to watch him like, you know what? I got this. I got some life skills and uh, it's taking me and now I'm a expert problem solver. I love it. I love appreciating them like that. So I'm going to have all the links for everybody, but let's have you also both let us know where folks can find you and go ahead and start. Oh, okay. So I um, am Sound Dog Connection. So I have a behavior practice in Gig Harbor, Washington, and um, also do Zoom clients. I still have a lot of rescues in different areas of the country that I still work with. And so that Sound Dog Connection, you can find me there. And then Heather and I together are Wagsnificent. So an online education platform. And we want that to be, always wanted that to be very interactive. So a lot of the classes, yeah, we encourage you to join live, ask questions, be part of it, not just, um, you know, not just watching a webinar. They, they are available, but we want it to be as interactive as possible. And we have things from puppyhood to dog talk, understanding canine body language, um, to a lot of exciting things coming. But we really are both kind of extra passionate about the seniors. I love it. And Heather, where can folks find you individually as well? So I am uh, the owner and veterinarian with Rough Day Vet in Gig Harbor. We are an acupuncture and rehabilitation facility exclusively. Um, so just pain and mobility. And I love seniors. So if you're in the area and you have a senior, I'd love to come see. I'd love you guys to come see me. Um, but um, like Anne was saying, uh, Wagsnificent, uh, we short it short cut that to wag because it's a mouthful. Sometimes uh, you can find us on <laughs> online um, through the link that you're going to be providing. Um, and that's where we do really, that's, that's a big education focus. We take science and make it accessible for people who want that information. And yeah, the super senior is, is the next big focus. It's our next live course that's coming up and we're really excited for it. Awesome. Well, thank you both so, so much. I think everybody's going to love this episode and I hope that they all jump into senior, uh, super senior, <laughs> super senior is your course. So thank you so, so much. I only got close to crying like three times and um, did not fall on sob. So I'll say, I'll save it for my, my woods walk later. Thank you all. Success. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. This is yes, a lot thank of you. fun. I love geeking out with you, Sarah. It was awesome. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. 
And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.